it is good to read God's word. It is good to pray God's word. And it's good to sing God's word. Because in his word is truth. In his word is encouragement. In his word is guidance. In his word is hope. In his word is confidence. In his word is him. And it is now to that God and his word that we now turn our attention. Thank you, choir, for for that song selection right before we enter into hearing from the throne room of heaven. And I'm going to do things a little out of order. Let's just go right into prayer and then we'll get the scripture text. But dear Heavenly Father, we stand here now before you, the everlasting God. God, I know that in the hustle and bustle of our lives and in our days and in our busyness, we can make you small. Forgive us for that, God. We take affront when someone mispronounces our name. We take affront when someone gets our title incorrect and mislabels us. And as the scripture says, we are but dust. But you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the one who spoke and created everything that is out of nothing. You are the triune God. You are the everlasting from everlasting. You are the great I am. You are Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha. You are so much. And yet we can make you so small. And so God, we ask for your forgiveness for when we've counted other things more important than you. We ask for your forgiveness when we have prioritized you to the bottom of our list. And then turn around and have the audacity to ask you to bless that list. We stand before you, God, broken. I believe you are breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts right now. Not so that you can embarrass us, not that you can shame us, not that you can put us on front street, but so that you can plant your word in soil that is ready to receive it. So that it may bloom and produce So now, God, we come to the most important part of the service, and that isn't to hear the speaker, but to hear from you. As I've said before, God, I don't need your help in preaching this text. I need you to preach this text. Just use me in the process. God, I pray that you would incline our ears to your spirit. through this hour that your spirit would be moving on the inside not not uh, allowing us to think about who we think should be here and who should hear this sermon and I wish such and so was paying attention and they're not taking notes like they should be but so that we would be inwardly focused on the only one we have power to change which is ourselves So, God, we stand in anticipation because you said in your own word that you would not let your word return to you void. And so, God, we know that whether we see it with our own eyes, that in the unseen, your word is working. And we stand in confidence on that fact. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 
Amen. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, solid word. Uh, as I always say, and, and I know you guys probably, you might, if you're taking notes, you might could take me verbatim, but I do not take it for granted. Uh, anytime I have an opportunity to share God's word with God's people and especially to stand instead of our pastor. And so I am honored to be here this morning and so uh, excited to see what the Lord is going to do. Let me just be um, very, very transparent. And, and, and before we even get to the text, um, I feel like this is a tough sermon. It dealt with me toughly. I don't know if I can say toughly, but it did, right? And that might just be because of where I am, right? But you can't, anyone who's ever taught or preached or anything, you, it's hard for you to prepare a sermon and that sermon not cut and chip at you. Ain't that right, Pastor Bowen? Amen. Yeah. And so what I'm asking, what I'm asking, what I'm asking for is, is that as we move through this, that, that you would do what's called intentional listening. Right? That means don't just let my words kind of wash over you, right? but engage with what's being said. Spend some time chewing on it. If you got the handout, you'll see there's not a whole lot there. There's two sections there because I didn't want you caught up in trying to capture all these points and fill in these blanks and all my takeaways, uh, but I really want you to be thinking, even as I'm preaching, about what's being preached, if that makes sense. And we'll kind of do this thing together as we move through this. So uh, the scripture you can see there in, in the bulletin um, is Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 12. Not very long, very straightforward. And there you'll find these words. If you've got it, you can see it and read along. But take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Let me read that one more time. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hmm. The aim for today's lesson is that by better understanding the link between our hearts, our beliefs, and our decisions, we would be convicted and compelled to ask God to show us what he sees in our hearts. And then we would be determined to genuinely and earnestly Seek him to renew our hearts and minds. Amen. 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 Uh, I, I do have, uh, as we get into this, and, and by way of a little bit of introduction, I do have the unique opportunity of preaching this Sunday and next Sunday. So this is going to be kind of a part one of a, of a series, a mini-series, a part one and a part two. And so if, if some of this sermon leaves you a little hungry, don't worry. Come back next Sunday. Uh, and we will put, hopefully, a nice bow on it all together. But um, what I'm trying to do and what I hope the Lord will help me do is to kind of set the stage for some introspection through the week that when we come back on next Sunday, will make you even more ready to hear what thus saith the Lord. All right. Now, I do feel compelled to say this. I preach and I teach from the perspective that the Bible is true. I, I, and when I say that the Bible is true, I don't mean just true to me, right? But objectively true. You understand what I mean by that? I, I, what I mean is, is that regardless of what I think about it, uh, regardless of, of, of uh, my opinion on any given text, on any uh, historical fact or or discrepancy, or anything that anybody can bring up, regardless of, of what conclusions I even come to, I believe that the Bible is objectively true, meaning that it stands alone as truth. And this is important, this is important, this is important, because uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about today, not everybody agrees with as being true. And especially in our postmodern society, right, that says that there really is no objective truth. It says that you have your truth, 
I have my truth. All of God's children got their own truth. <laughs> but that's the world we live in, right? To push it even further, some will say that, well, you know, what you believe in makes it true. And, and, and I'm, a, you know, I'm an engineer by degree, so I, math is my thing. I love numbers. And, and I thought about this. I was like, you know, two plus two is four, whether I write five on my paper or not. So there are some things that are objectively true. The sun is hot. You, you ain't have to believe it, Pastor Bolton. Just go stand out there. And <laughs> When the sweat beads is running down, you're talking. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that the sun is hot. And look, I'm compelled to make this statement because a lot of what we're going to talk about today, like I mentioned, the world, right, it, it actually runs counter to what the world says. But we really should be able to say that about every sermon that kind of comes from the pulpit of the church of God. More specifically, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is a little bit about the nature of people. Even more specifically about the nature of our hearts. <laughs> Who we are at our core. And while the Bible will definitely be the foundation for what we cover, I am going to, like I mentioned before, I'm going to challenge each and every one of you, right? If you would, to just continually through the service... I will not consider it a disrespect if you would just ask yourself this question. What's in my heart? Not what do I know should be in my heart. Not what I would like to be in my heart. But what is in my heart? Um, here's a little exercise. You guys trust me? Yeah, one, one person trusts me. That's good. Close your eyes. Just where you are. Close your eyes. I'm going to do the same thing. Just in the silence. And pay attention to the things that pop up to the thoughts that run across, to the things that you're thinking about. Sometimes it's just background noise. Sometimes we're not even conscious of it. That person you saw, that thing you heard, that scent you smelled. Okay, you can open your eyes. I'm not going to ask anybody to share, right? But if you're like me, all kinds of stuff is zipping, running through, stuff that I wouldn't be proud of. I once said once that, Lord, help us if we all had thought bubbles above our heads and everything that ran across our mind was on display for everyone to see. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. But that's for everybody, oh, Lord. All right, so just by way of a little bit of context here, uh, we are in the book of Hebrews as we move through this. Hebrews is somewhat of a challenging book because of a couple of things. One is because uh, scholars aren't really sure who wrote the book. Some people say it looks like it was written by Paul. Some say maybe Barnabas. Some say Apollos. Others say Luke. Some even say Priscilla. So there's some uncertainty about who actually penned Hebrews. There's also some uncertainty about the audience. Some say, well, it was written to G Gentile Christians. And these Gentile Christians were experiencing some outward pressure from the community and the old things that they, in the old circles they used to run in because they left behind the pagan life and, and in some cases maybe even left behind places and, and, and uh, positions of, of authority and prominence. Others say, no, it's not Gentile Christians, it's Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians are struggling with having left behind uh, the temple practices, right? the sacrifices and the rituals and not eating certain things and dressing a certain way and, and, and requiring circumcision. And then others say, no, it's a mixed group. Some Jewish Christians, some Gentile Christians. 
And then there's even some question about exactly when it was written. Maybe it was written before the temple was destroyed, 70 AD. Maybe it was written afterwards. And those things have some influence and have some significance as you're trying to rightly interpret some of the passages. But while there can be questions about some of those details, there are some things that are very, very certain. And that is, is that the book of Hebrews presents a very, very complete and explicit um, comprehensive image of Jesus in his priestly role. It shows him as the inaugurator of a better new covenant. In Hebrews, we are presented with a Jesus who is greater than the angels. We are presented with a Jesus who is a priest who can sympathize with us because he also suffered and was tempted as we are. We are presented with a Jesus who is greater than Moses. He is our great high priest. We are presented with a Jesus whose death ushered in the new covenant that's better than the old, like we said, and built on faith. And as a result... Those who are covered by his blood now live lives according to that faith. (laughs) And it's in this verse, the writer of Hebrews presents us with three things. The writer presents us with a caution, with a condition, and with a consequence. So let's take a look at the caution first, where it says, take care, brothers. The writer of Hebrews, right, opens this verse with, a verb that in the original Greek is in the imperative mood. Now, that's just a fancy way of saying that this verb that this writer is using isn't a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not a, hey, if you get around to it, maybe you should try to take care, but it's a command. (laughs) It expresses the will of the writer to influence the behavior of the one he is writing or she is writing to. So this lets us know that there is an active role that we can play. When he opens up and says, when the writer opens up and says, take care, that lets us know that there are steps that we can actually take, things that we can do, behaviors that we can adopt to either enable or prohibit whatever follows the take care. Now, in our case, it is the evil and unbelieving heart that can lead you away from God. So this morning, what we're going to deal with is the notion of an evil and unbelieving heart. Uh, And then next Sunday, if the Lord stays the same, right, and the creek don't rise, um, what we will come back then is look at how it leads us away from God and what we can do to take care. Now, when we talk about evil and unbelieving, that is extremely strong language. And it is a bit off-putting, evil, and unbelieving. And, and it becomes even more so jarring and, and even a little bit surprising if you, kinda, if you consider that the writer of the Hebrews addresses this to brothers, which can also be read as brothers and sisters. In other words, while an evil and unbelieving heart is the condition of every man, woman, and child before accepting Christ, the text lets us know that even after Christ, there is still a danger of allowing ourselves to be led by a heart that is evil and unbelieving. Yeah, just kind of let that sink in. Because sometimes when we hear evil and unbelieving, that sounds like those folks whoever those folks are. But the writer of Hebrews says, brothers, solid word of nights. Make sure you aren't led away by an evil and unbelieving heart. But before we can get all the way into that, we have to understand what is it, what's meant by heart? All right? The condition is, is that you have an unbelieving and an evil heart, but what is meant by heart? Well, it's not the biological organ that's pumping blood. Right? But the heart is representative of a couple of things in the Bible. And bear with us as we move through some scriptures here. The first one we're going to look at is Genesis 42 and 28. Genesis 42 and 28 
The context for this a little bit is uh, Joseph and his brothers have come to him while he is in Egypt, and now you know he is ruler over many things or asking for some grain. He says, yep, that's cool. They brought some money to buy that grain from them. He fills their bags up with the grain, and he gives them their money back, right, because he's their brother. He loves them. They don't know that he's their brother yet, but they leave, and when they look into their bags, they discover, right, as it says here in the text, he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack, and at this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is it that God has done to us? <laughs> Genesis 42, 28 lets us know that the heart can represent our emotions, right? Our feelings. These guys were afraid because it looked like they had stolen from Pharaoh. Now let's turn to 1 Samuel 1 and 3. And you don't have to turn. I think uh, our crackpot team back there is helping me out and making me look good and uh, putting these scriptures up here. So you don't have to keep turning. You can make note if you want to. But 1 Samuel 1 and 13, if you're familiar with the story of Samuel and more specifically his mother Hannah, she was barren, could not have children, and would constantly, constantly, constantly be praying to the Lord that she may give birth. And in this particular passage, it says that Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. So in other words, you've got this woman who is praying, but she's not saying anything out loud. Someone observes and thinks that she's drunk because she's moving her mouth, but she's not saying nothing. And the scripture lets us know that she's speaking within her heart. This lets us know that the heart can also represent our thoughts, the seat of where we have that internal communication with ourselves. In Psalm 62 and 10, <laughs> The psalmist writes, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Psalms lets us know that our heart can also represent our hope. Where do we put our hope? Where does our confidence lie? What are we trusting in? The admonition here is not to trust in riches. Continuing in Psalms, Psalms 119 and 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So we see here our heart can also represent our intentions and our will. And then finally, Song of Solomon's 4 and 9. And we know that this is a book of love. <laughs> you have captivated my heart my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. And what we see here is that the heart can also represent our affection. Hmm. So put that all together, right? We've got the heart that represents a couple of different things. It represents our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts. It represents our hopes. It represents our intention, our will. It represents our affection. And I think most would agree that even the world's definition of heart aligns with how the Bible defines heart. In other words, it is the core of each person where their feelings, their emotions, their desires, their wants, their wishes, their motivations reside. It is, get this now, the purest, most honest expression of what a person wants to do or wants to seek after in order to bring themselves happiness and satisfaction. But when we ask the question that must follow, what is the condition of the heart? What is its disposition? What is its default setting? Well, this is where the two definitions begin to diverge. You see, the world says that the heart is basically good. It says that it should be trusted, that it should be followed, that if you want to get to the core of what will make you happy, if you want to get to the core of what will make you fulfilled, if you want to get to the core of what your truth is, then you need to follow your heart. You need to go where it leads you. <laughs> you need to 
spend some time getting to know yourself and then listen to what yourself tells you yourself should do. <laughs> but the Bible says that the heart is evil. The Bible says that it stands in opposition to God and as such should not be trusted. Here are two very key verses we're going to look at, Genesis 6 and 5. This is six chapters after the creation of everything. And it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, let me, let me stop here because I know this is, this, is, this is messing with us a little bit. And I, this is how I know it messes with us because it messes with me. Because when I think about myself, I don't think about myself as evil. I've seen some movies in my day. I've seen some evil villains, Nick. I'm not an evil villain. I'm not holding nobody's child for ransom. I'm not locking nobody up in no basement somewhere, chasing people down. You see, you see what I'm saying, Elder Martin? And so, 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 so when I see that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil, right off the bat, I think there's something wrong with that. Because I know my thoughts, and they're not evil. I might not want to share them with everybody, but they're not evil. <laughs> These, I'm, I'm just talking about me. These are the conversations I have with myself. And I think part of that is because we, we have a, look, I'm just going to say it. We have a, a, a Hollywood version of what evil is, right? And we've allowed the world to define evil, which then allows the world to kind of say, so then because this is what we say evil is, then, yeah, man isn't evil. Man is basically good. But let me give you a very, very simple definition of evil. Evil is wanting to do what I want to do instead of what God says to do. That's it. I know that messes with us because you think, wait a minute, I thought it was shooting up schools. I thought it was hijacking planes. I thought it was, you, you know what I'm saying? You, the, the news will talk about, oh, it's just an evil person, and they're just, they're just, no, 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 listen to what I'm saying. That's all fruit of it. But it all comes from the same seed, and that is that my will above everybody else's will. See, that's the nature of sin. Sin is not necessarily the individual things that we do. It's all about what I think in my heart, which is I want my way. And to have my way, I might commit adultery. To have my way, I might steal. To have my way, I might kill. To have my way, I might covet. To have my way, I might... You see what I'm saying? Those are all just manifestations of me wanting my way. How I want it, when I want it, where I want it. So if we look at this verse and said, you know what? The, law, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only to do what he wanted to do continually. We might could see ourselves in that scripture. Yeah. Let, me give you, let me give you a very, very simple, simple example. <laughs> you ever been in a public place and they tell you, look now, it's going to be packed. So when you go in there, we need you to go all the way to the end of the row and don't leave any gaps in between you. What do we do? I'm going to sit where I want to sit. I bought a ticket. I bought my own ticket. They can tell me where to sit. I'm a grown man. I'll sit. I'll lay across the whole row if I want to lay across the whole row. <laughs> and I know you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Minister Wright. That's such a small thing. Yeah, it's a small thing. But the seed, the kernel, is that I want my will. <laughs> I want my will. We see this from the very beginning of when children enter into the world. Children ain't asking you, uh, Father, is it okay if you feed me now? My, my brother here knows, right? He's coming in right now. That, that baby didn't ask him, is this a good time for, for, for you to change me? Are you good with, I'm going to go ahead and, yeah, if you would now, can you take me out? Yeah. 
But we see, right? Beautiful, beautiful. But from the very beginning, we want our way. What is the one word you don't have to teach your child? My? Or what's the other? No. I don't, I don't ever remember. Look, I told my family, my daughters asked me, they said, Dad, is there going to be any, uh, what did you say, humorous uh, familial anecdotes in your sermon today? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. But the spirit moves. <laughs> but my youngest daughter, the first construction that she put together from a sentence <laughs> wasn't, I love wasn't, um, you know, you know, daddy's great. It, it, was, it, was, it was I not. <laughs> that, I mean, that, was Hannah's, that was Hannah's catchphrase. I not. She knew enough to know that I is me and I'm not going to do. I not. She, could even, she didn't have enough words to even describe what it was she wasn't going to do. But she... But, but we come in wired. And I think this is why people have a struggle with the notion of man being basically good and evil because we define good and evil by how the world defines good and evil. But we need to define it how the Bible defines good and evil. Good is doing what God says. Evil is not doing what God says. Right? It's not the worst thing you can imagine happening and saying, well, I would never do that, so therefore I'm not evil. No. You, you, you've jumped over a lot of stuff. It's that kernel that says, every thought of my heart is about me. What I want, what I need, what I'm going to get, how I'm going to get it, how better not anybody try to stop me. <laughs> Jeremiah 17 and 9, we all know this one. The heart is what? It's deceitful above all things. That, you know what that means? That means that there is nothing else more deceitful than the heart. Think about that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That means it can't get better. Not just, oh, it has a little cold. Not like my brother here who's getting over. It's desperately sick. And then I like this. Who can understand it? That includes you with your own heart. Make it personal. My heart is the most deceitful thing in the world. It is desperately sick, and I can't understand it. But the world says I should follow it. The world says I should listen to it. Push this even further. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 15 and 19 that what actually defiles a man is not what he eats, right? But it's actually what comes out of him when he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, come murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. This is why... So this is Matthew 15. If you flip back to Matthew 5, right, the Sermon on the Mount, 5 through 7, this is why when Jesus gets to walking through some of the Ten Commandments, he says, you have heard that thou shalt not do this. But he pushes it further, right? He says, you've heard that you should not commit adultery. He said, I'll push it further. You should even look at a woman with lust in your heart. Because Jesus knows that that's where the seed is planted and that adultery is just the fruit Right? No one wakes up one day and says, I'm going to go commit adultery. But it starts here. Right? A seed. And Jesus knew that. And he knew that that seed produces fruit. And the fruit that we see is all of these things. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. But it's born in the heart. So here's, here's a statement that you can, you can try on and see if you want to keep it on. As my heart is, so am I. As my heart is, so am I. This is why following our hearts, being led by our hearts, 
is a really bad idea. <laughs> not, a, not a deep theological point. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time studying. It's a bad idea. We, look, we know this just from personal experience. Think back to that person that you just thought hung the moon. You, I mean, they just, you just, they just couldn't do any wrong. For me, it's my wife, Karen. I'm not thinking back past anybody else. <laughs> Can't, I don't even remember nobody else. It's just, it's, when I go back, it's blank pages. It's just... Can't even see. It starts the moment I met my wife. Started remembering things. But for the rest of y'all... <laughs> yeah. But think about how you would just ate up with whoever that person was. Your heart, if, if you listened to your heart, your heart would have told you, marry them right then and there. Not when you look back on it, though. Don't you feel silly? I mean, the, the way he was pining. I'm going to mess with Bowden. Bowden. Bowden, back when you had hair, Bowden, you was pining over somebody. And now you look back in the wisdom of, in the wisdom of, of age and say, what was I thinking? What? what, what? Right? And guess who was there with you the whole time? Your heart telling you, oh, yeah. That's the one. That's the one. So we, we should know by personal experience that of all people I cannot trust, it's my heart. Because one day my heart is set on one thing and then I wake up the next day and I'm, I don't know if I feel like... But in the same breath, well, in my heart, I just feel in my heart, I need to do this. Well, your heart told you yesterday to go left. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But now today, well, you see what I'm saying? And I know, look, I'm, it's, it seems funny, but, it, but it's serious, right? Because we give so much credence to what I feel and, and what I feel about and how it, if it feels right and it's my truth and all these things. And the scripture is so clear. And our experience confirms scripture. That's the other thing too, right? We know the things that I thought I wanted to do. I don't want to do those no more. Not, I can't even remember how I, what frame of mind was I in that made me even think that was a good idea. The deceitfulness of the heart. Uh -huh. Now get this, get this, get this. <clears throat> We like to tell ourselves, I like to tell myself, we like to tell ourselves that uh, emotions, feelings, and desires kind of exist on one side, and on the other side is kind of my mind and my intellect, and that I'm able to kind of restrain my worst impulses because I'm a rational thinking individual. <laughs> and, 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 and what we, we really find out, or at least we, we think that we're not impacted by uh, those things or we're not affected by what's kind of lurking in the dark recesses of our hearts, right? That we can get this, and I hope, look, if this offends you, it, it, it just is what it is, and then I'll be out of here in a couple of minutes. We, we feel like we can live a double life. Hmm. <laughs> I, I feel like I can maintain this dual existence, one that looks good for those around me, and then another existence that satisfies those secret desires in my heart. When, not when no one's around, well, but just when y'all ain't around. <laughs> but the Bible makes it clear that my emotions, my feelings, my desires, and how I think, how I reason, are actually very much intertwined. And as such, the heart represents that which controls the decisions that I make in my life, right? As evidenced by the fact that you are even trying to live double lives. If my intellect and reason is so powerful, why would I even entertain trying to do something dark and secret and lurking? Amen. That's because my intellect and reason is not what's in control. It's the secret dark and lurking that's trying to figure out how I can be satisfied, how I can be uh, 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 satiated in what it is that I want to do. This is why, I'm going somewhere with this, y'all. Hang with me. This is why 
the act of salvation and then the continuing act of sanctification has to start in the heart. Uh -huh. Romans 10, 9 and 10, very familiar verse. We all know it very well, but let's look at it maybe a little bit differently now that we have the context that we've just been talking about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why is that, Paul? Well, for with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness, some of your uh, translations may say justification, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This is interesting. This is interesting. This is interesting. Because what Paul seems to suggest here is that it's not enough, Pete, to know information. <laughs> it seems that Paul is, is kind of giving a wink and a nod to what the Bible says about the heart in that, look, I know that there is this operating system that really controls everything. You can put some facade on the outside. Well, yes, Jesus, God is Jesus is God's son, and I love him. And he was born in a manger and raised on the third day, and yes, all that good stuff. <laughs> but Paul peels that back and says, yeah, no, you don't understand. What's in your heart? That's where salvation starts. Right? And so we see heart is the center of our physical and spiritual lives. What we believe is what we think is true, right? What we're persuaded of, what we place our confidence in, and this righteousness, this justification is really just correct thinking, feeling, and acting that is acceptable to God. So when you put all that together, right, there is a consistent theme. First revealed all the way in Genesis. I wasn't just showing you guys that just to kind of, you know, bore you or anything like that, but to show you there's this consistent theme from the very beginning of the scripture in Genesis and throughout all scriptures, and it's confirmed here in Romans that the heart of the problem for man is that man has a problem of the heart. Hmm. Yeah. And his heart has to be redeemed, and then it has to be renewed. So this begs two questions that we must now ask ourselves. First, we must ask ourselves, is my heart a slave to sin? Do I indulge every whim and desire of my heart? When I talked about dual nature, some of you guys might have been like, what, what, what do you mean dual nature? I just do what my, what my heart says do. I'm not faking and flodging for anybody. If I want to go, I go. If I don't, I don't. If I do, I do. All these kinds of things. Do I chase after that which satisfies my flesh? all at the expense of my eternal soul? Hmm. Or has my heart been changed? Has it been freed by the power of God from the bondage of sin, leading to belief in Jesus Christ as my Savior and ultimately resulting in salvation? And if the answer to that is no, or I don't know, then please, at the end of service, hang around. You will have an opportunity to speak with some of us, to really get to a place of confidence, a place of really being able to understand and to know that you know that you know. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. But that's the first question. But the second question is, if my heart has been redeemed, the question becomes, what's in it? You can go to a, uh, many of you guys know, right, I work for a Goodwill of Central and Southern Indiana, and, and you can go to any Goodwill store and you can buy things that someone else previously owned. They may have thrown those things out. Goodwill has put it on a shelf, and when you come in there, you actually look at it and you see it and you say, you know what, this vase, this uh, this uh, container. I like it. I think it could go in my house somewhere nice, and so I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to purchase it. And so that thing has been redeemed, but then when you get home, you take the lid off, and you realize, oh, look what the previous owner had in here, right? And that's what I'm asking you. Christ has redeemed your heart. The question is, when he takes the lid off, what is he finding in there? <laughs> Where does your heart get its sustenance from? Where does it draw its strength from? What, what informs your heart? What educates your heart? What, what feeds it? Right? 
And, and, and in return, what impulses, what drives, and what urges is it generating for you to act upon? When, when, when Christ redeems your heart and he takes the lid off, if he, he takes some stuff out, are you busy putting that stuff back in? So in conclusion here, we're wrapping up here. Our hearts by default want to satisfy the flesh. Ain't no question. Ain't no question. Want to do what's pleasing, want to satisfy, want to satiate our sinful desires, our selfish desires. <laughs> and by definition, if we're following our hearts, then we are being led away from God. Again, this is what the Bible says is good and evil, not what the world says. But if I'm following my own will, then guess what? I'm not following God's will. And by definition, I'm walking in evil, right, and being led away from God. So next Sunday, what we're going to do is look at verse 13 in the text. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about how then to guard against being led away from God by our hearts. Because like I said, it, it, the, the writer says, take care. There's an imperative there, which implies that there's some things that we can do, right, to make sure to guard our hearts. But until then, here's the homework that I want everyone in here to try to do for this week. At the bottom of your handouts, if you have it, you'll see Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous or hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the homework. Here's the homework. Here's the homework. Throughout next week, pray that verse. Ask God to search you. I don't, care, I don't care if you're the preacher or whatever you think is the lowest position in the church. I'm, I'm not even going to get into that. Right? From the pulpit to the back door, ask God to search you. Don't you sit down and say, hmm, what's in my heart? Heart, tell me what's in you. And the heart's going to remind you, oh, remember when you gave such and so some extra so-and-so? Yeah, that's right. I got some generosity in me. No. No. This is not a self-evaluation. This is asking God to search you out. This is asking God to shine his holy light. It, can I help you out with something if you're scared about it? He, he already knows. This is more of an exercise for us. He, he, he's not going to be surprised. Some of you are, well, I don't want him to find. He knows. I don't want him to see. He saw it. Yeah, too late. He knows. Okay. This is more for us. Right? Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. But don't just leave me there, God. When you show it to me and I'm broken by it, don't just leave me there. But what does he go on to say? And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm challenging you guys. Pray this prayer. I'm not saying you need to pray it every hour on the hour. I'm not saying you need to fast. I'm just saying when you think about it, ask the Lord to show you. Let me tell you, I, I did this this past week as I'm preparing for the sermon. I did it. <laughs> and what the Lord began to do is he began to show me almost as if I was looking at myself. I started seeing things I hadn't noticed before. And not only was he showing me up, but then he would also show me, and that's rooted to this. Up, and, that's, and this is the root of that. This is, uh -huh, and this is what that's connected to. And it, 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 brought, it, it, it brought me low. It brought me low. But let me tell you what else it did. And this is why I'm, I'm encouraging you to do it. It made me even more grateful for the salvation that I have. Yes, 
it made me see that grace as being more amazing than I initially maybe thought that it was, right? Because, yeah, I know you saved me from my sin, but we don't like to think of ourselves as continuing in some ickiness and sin and some issues, right? And so when I began to see that, then I began to be humbled and broken as he began to show me. Here's, here's why you're doing these things. No one else can see it. That's the other beautiful thing about the good, good father that God is. This is just between you and him. He's not going to put you on front street. He's not going to blast it out. You don't need to go declare it in the break room when he reveals it to you. But this is for us. And, and the reason is not so that you come back in with a big, long list of, of minister, right? Here's what, I, here's what the Lord showed me. And, ooh, I couldn't believe it. No, I don't want to know. I like you guys. I don't want to know. I know I got my own stuff. Right, Pete? I don't want to know. Right? But next Sunday, is, is we're coming with an eye towards, now, God, how do I guard my heart against the things that you showed me in this past week? And I want the Lord, and I know that he will if you meet him there, he will break up that fallow ground in the heart. He'll start moving some stuff. He'll start showing you some things. And when you come in next Sunday, you will, you will, you will be like, look, can we sing one song and get to the sermon? Because I want to know, right, what the Lord has to say about this. I've been, I've been dealing with this and praying about this all through the week, and the Lord is bringing me here now. I know what he's told me. I want it to confirm in the word and so that we can move on and be better. So, I'm going to close my eyes. Show, show of hands. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do anything like that. I, I, I'm telling you, please, please, please do this. It's not going to change. I'm going to get up next Sunday and preach no matter what. And I'm going to preach like I always preach no matter what. But if you want to get the most of what God has for you, right? The good thing, here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. I'm not even in my notes anymore. Here's the beauty of it. The beauty is, is that what Christ came to do is to make our hearts new. He redeemed them, and now he wants to make them new. Right? So this, this exercise is not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. God, show me. Oh, help me guard my heart against that. God, show me. Ah, help me guard myself. You see what I'm saying? This is a day-by-day Faith by faith, walk by walk, step by step, sanctification process until one day when I see him, like John says, I will be like him. I can't imagine. But that's what he has come to do. Homework. I know some of y'all are thinking, I'm an adult. Don't be trying to give me homework, Charles. I can do what I want to do. That's that sin in you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we are.